0: 1 Peter chapter three in verse eighteen it says this for Christ also suffered once for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive by the Spirit. Christ. Christ, he suffered He suffered once. For sins. Incredible payment in which he paid for us as he died upon the cross. The just for the unjust. A substitution in which He He made for us the, the one who was without sin, the one that was righteous, being substituted for us who who were covered in sin. And 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 He took the sin that we had committed over and over again upon himself, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God. That he might bring us to God. Being put to death in the flesh, but made alive by the Spirit. The focus this morning will be looking at his death and resurrection, but specifically... The outcome of that being that he might bring us to God. You turn your Bibles with me. If you don't have them, there's Bibles under the pews. Turn with me to the book of Exodus, to chapter 19. And as we look in Scripture, we find over and over again that That as a result of our sin, we have been separated from God. and In Isaiah 59, in verse 2, it says, it says, But your iniquities have separated between you and your God. Your sins have hid his face from you. The sin which we have committed has caused a separation between us and God. And our sin has, has made it so that his face has been hidden from us. We see the the consequences of that in a number of different passages in Scripture, but the one that I would like to look at this morning comes from Exodus chapter 19 and beginning of verse 9. Here we find that that picture of of Moses and, and, and going up upon Mount Sinai. And in verse 9 it says, The Lord said to Moses, Behold, I'll come to you in the thick cloud that the people may I hear when i speak with you and believe you forever so moses told the words of the people or so moses told the words of the people to the lord and the lord said to moses go to the people and consecrate them today and tomorrow and let them wash their clothes let them be ready for the third day on the third day the lord will come down upon mount sinai in the sight of all the people and you shall set bounds For the people all around saying, take heed to yourselves that you do not go up to the mountain or touch its base. Whoever touches the mountain shall surely be put to death. Not a hand shall touch him. But he shall surely be stoned or shot with an arrow. Whether man or beast, he shall not live. And when the trumpet sounds long, they shall come near the mountain. So we see this picture here of God speaking to Moses and speaking to the people. I'm going to come, and it's going to be in a thick cloud. I'm going to come, and I'm going to speak to you, Moses, so that the people are able to hear. But as I come, go to the people and consecrate them today and tomorrow. Let them wash their clothes. And he goes from there to saying, set boundaries, set bounds so that the people can't go past these. Make it so that that there's no chance that they are going to come past the boundaries that are set. And so you see that that, that, that they they set these boundaries around the mountain saying, you cannot go past this. Don't don't go past this particular area right here. This is a spot. Don't, Don't go past it. No, how, no matter how badly they wanted to go past, God's saying, don't. We were on a missions trip to Egypt, and they set boundaries like that around the Sphinx, and you, you weren't allowed to go. Once they closed, you weren't allowed to go. We, we had a group of, like, I think 39 people there, and we just wanted to get a picture, just one picture of the Sphinx so we could say, hey, we've been there, but closed down there was no way that we could get in they said there's just one more tour bus coming through and they're the only ones let through, that are going to be allowed to, be, to go through and so everybody was so bombed. and this tour bus opens up and all these Asians get off the tour bus so what do I do I'm just right in the middle of them walking through <laughs> nobody knew and we got our picture I quickly returned. These boundaries that are set up, though, boundaries that are there, you cannot, you can't go past. Here the result is more severe. Take heed to yourselves that you do not, God's saying, that you do not go up to the mountain or touch its base. Don't go up to it. Don't touch even the base of the mountain. Whoever touches the mountain shall surely be put to death. Not a hand shall touch him, but he shall surely be stoned or shot with an arrow, even a beast. A man, an animal, whatever it is, anything that goes up and touches the base of the mountain will be put to death. When we look at this, we're able to see just an incredible picture of the holiness of our God, aren't we? We have a broken view. So many people have a broken view of, of, of what God is really like or the magnitude of our sin. What the separation is really like. The separation is, is, is so great that we, we cannot so much as come and touch the base of the mountain in which God is descending upon, lest we immediately be put to death. In, in chapter 19 and verse 16, if you just move a few verses on, then it came to pass on the third day in the morning that there were thunderings and lightnings And a thick cloud on the mountain, and the sound of the trumpet was very loud, so that all the people who were in the camp trembled. And Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet with God, and they stood at the foot of the mountain. Now Mount Sinai was completely in smoke, because the Lord descended upon it in fire. Its smoke ascended like the smoke of a furnace, and the whole mountain quaked greatly. And when the blast of the trumpet sounded long, it became louder and louder. And Moses spoke, and God answered him by voice. And the Lord came down upon Mount Sinai on the top of the mountain. And the Lord called Moses to the top of the mountain. And Moses went up. And the Lord said to Moses, Go down and warn the people, lest they break through and gaze at the Lord and many of them perish. It's incredible. I mean, just the power of this. You have the, the thunderings and the lightnings and the earth shaking as God is coming upon this particular mountain. And God says to Moses, go down again. Go down, warn the people. The tendency for them to, is to be like, it's going to be okay. I just want to get a little bit closer. I just want to see I mean, if I could just maybe get to the right spot, maybe I can see. If I just go a little bit further and God just saying, Moses, go down and warn the people. Tell them again. Tell them again that, that they're not to break through to gaze at the Lord. Go tell them again because I don't, I don't want many of them to perish today. Go warn them again. Do not even come and touch the base of the mountain we see a similar story in Exodus 33 where we're looking at this and it continues on. And we see Moses that's up there, Exodus 33 and verse 18. Where he's there and he's asking God, saying, Exodus 33:18, Please, please show me your glory. Here, here Moses is there and, and he just wants to see some of the glory of God. And then God says, I will make all my goodness pass before you, and I'll proclaim the name of the Lord before you. I'll be gracious to whom I'll be gracious, and I'll have compassion on whom I'll have compassion. But he said, You cannot see my face, for no man shall see me and live. And the Lord said, Here is a place by me, you shall stand in the rock, So it shall be while my glory passes by that I'll put you in the cleft of the rock and cover you with my hand while I pass by and then I'll take away my hand and you'll see my back but my face you shall not see. Here, this relationship is there with God and Moses to where they're, they're talking together and God's giving him the law and all that is occurring there as far as the sweetness of the fellowship that's there. And Moses is there, just show me your glory. I just want to see your glory. Can I just can I see your face? And God's saying, absolutely not. You can't see my face. If you, if you see my face, you'll immediately die you can't see my face. There's this great separation that is there because of the sin of Moses, because the sin of all of mankind from the time of Adam and Eve. There's this great separation that's there, so it is not even possible to come up to him. It's not possible to see him. You you hear people talk about God sometimes in such ways of, I can't believe he'd let this happen to me. When I get to heaven, the first thing I'm going to do is I'm going to go right up to him and I'm going to, you know, and they tell you what they're going to say. And I, you go through scriptures and I can confidently say, no, you won't. You don't know him. Like you, your view of him is so puny. You, you, you look at him as, as someone that is 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 like an equal to you and it, it's not even close. There's... he. There's a mountain, and he's descending upon it, and, and they can't so much as touch the base of it lest they be put to death immediately. There's thunderings and lightnings. The earth is shaking, and here's Moses there, and he's just he's placed into the cleft of the rock, and God is so kind to even just take him and, and say, I'm gonna pass by, but I'm gonna cover you with my hand. So you can't see me. You can't see my face, because if, if you do, you're gonna die. And God passes by and Let's him see just a little bit of his back, and Moses' face just turns like a glow, and he comes down the mountain, and the people are afraid of him. He's just glowing from just even seeing a small portion of the glory of God. We, we, we see other passages in Scripture where God speaks and, and, and allows people to see some of his glory, but they're they are very few, and it's with just certain individuals. Like, for example, the high priest. Um, In Leviticus chapter 16, I'll just read it for you. It says, The Lord says to Moses, Tell Aaron, your brother, not to come at, at just any time to the holy place inside the veil, before the mercy seat which is on the ark, lest he die. For I will appear in the cloud above the mercy seat. And so you have within the temple this area that is called the Holy of Holies. Within the Holy of Holies, there is the mercy seat that's there, and there's the ark, and you look and there's two cherubim that are there, and you have God shining in his Shekinah glory there within the Holy of Holies. And the high priest was able to go in there once a year on the Day of Atonement and it was an incredible process that took place for him to be able to go in there. You would think that it would be an exciting thing to be that high priest. An exciting thing to be the one, the one that gets to go in once a year and be able to see that Shekinah glory of the Lord there above the mercy seat. But the process in which... Would have taken place in order to go there it was just radical. You can picture the temple and there's the outer courts and these different rooms that you go into. But there is the one in which there is this veil that is there, and it's it's this 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 piece of incredible material that has been made that it's is about four inches in in thickness, and it's there and it's that veil that that the high priest has to go through in order to be in the Holy of Holies to see to see God in His Shekinah glory. On that day, the Day of Atonement, in preparation for it, the high priest would leave his house in Jerusalem and he'd live in his chambers at the temple for the entire week before the Day of Atonement. He'd be the one that would was to go in but he'd be appointed a substitute in case he died or became levitically unclean to perform his responsibilities. He would practice sprinkling the blood, burning the incense, lighting the lamp and offering the sacrifices the week before. He he would practice he would practice everything that he needed to do. On the night before the day of atonement the high priest had to give an oath that he would complete all of his responsibilities. The entire night he was to read or to, to to be listening to scripture the entire night before the Day of Atonement. On the morning of the Day of Atonement, the high priest would change his clothes and bathe five times. His hands and his feet had to be washed ten times. The high priest would wash his whole body in water and change from his ornate clothing of gold into perfectly white linen he would go out then and sacrifice a bull and have a ram as a burnt offering and he would take both of his hands on the head of the bull and and he would say lord i've committed iniquity i've transgressed i've sinned i in my house oh then lord i entreat thee cover over the iniquities the transgressions, the sins which I've committed and transgressed and sinned before thee. I in my house, even as it is written in the law of Moses, thy servant. For on that day he will cover over or atone for you to make you clean from all your transgressions before the Lord. You shall be cleansed. And, and so he would say this and, and repeat this. And it's an incredible process. He would then choose a scapegoat by casting lots, and the other goat would be sacrificed. And there would be a priest that would collect the blood from the sacrifice and would continually stir it. High priest would then go fearfully into the holy of holies with his censer and incense, and he would offer incense to the Lord. And then he'd come out, and he'd take the blood, and he'd sprinkle it with his finger, once upwards, then towards the mercy seat, and then seven times downwards, counting out loud each time so that he would not make a mistake. The mercy seat was the gold lid for the ark, and the ark contained the tablets of stone in which God wrote the law with his own finger. Between the high priest and the law was the mercy seat covered with the blood of the sacrifice. And then he, he would then sacrifice the goat and sprinkle the same as before and, and, and then mix the blood of the bull and the goat and repeat it again, sprinkling 43 times. He had to make certain that the blood did not get on his perfectly white clothing. It was in the Holy of Holies that God would appear to him at that time. And it's just incredible to think about. The process of being able to go in once a year, there had to be the shedding of blood. He could not go in without the shedding of blood taking place prior to that. Tradition tells us that they would tie a rope to his his leg so that if he was put to death while in the Holy of Holies, they could pull him out. And you think of the process and just think, okay, here's someone going in once a year on that particular day and here is all the sacrifices and the reading of scripture all night long and the trembling and being a place of practicing and practicing and practicing and wanting to make sure that you could do it right and sacrificing appropriately and the sprinkling appropriately and the 43 times and all that was taking place wanting to make sure that everything was absolutely perfect. If we lived back then at that time Even if we had tried our hardest to obey the law. Even if everybody in the community thought of us as the nicest people in society. Even if we gave everything within us to just bless other people. If we had tried to enter the Holy of Holies in the temple, we would have surely been put to death. It was not possible to stand in the presence of Almighty God. Or to behold him in the brilliance of all of his holiness. It wasn't possible to draw near to one who was a consuming fire. And now you think of the cross. You think of what took place when Jesus died on the cross. The Bible tells us that immediately after Jesus died, on the cross. Matthew 27, verse 51, Then behold, the veil of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom, and the earth quaked, and the rocks were split. This is radical. I mean, literally, when Christ died, God takes this veil that's four inches thick, this veil that had been there centuries And from top to bottom, he splits it in half. God gave them exact dimensions, like this is what the the temple is to look like. This is what the veil is to be made out of. It's to start with perfectly white linen, and then these are the colors that are to be added to it. And the thickness of it, you look and you, and you see this, and it's just this incredible piece there between the Holy of Holies and that outer chamber. And to think, why did God have that part be made out of material, out of a veil. Why have that there? I mean, when there's other parts that are made out of 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 limestone or other precious stones or gold or cedar. Well, why is it that that was made out of a veil? I think the answer is obvious, and the answer is because it was temporary. It was temporary. The veil was there to be that separation so that the people would not go in and see the Shekinah glory of the Lord because if they did, without a doubt, they'd be put to death. But to think that this veil that's there and that is hanging in this incredible temple, when Christ breathed his last, God splits it in half, just right down the middle, and he's very clear to tell us from top to bottom. This was not the efforts of a man. This wasn't somebody coming in and, and, and tearing this piece. In fact, there's no way any human could have just torn this veil in two. This was God Almighty who had determined what this temple was going to look like and where he was going to go and where he would be and where he would be able to allow people to see some of his glory, some of his Shekinah glory And how that high priest would come in once a year. And how the the sacrifices were to be made. And all of these things that were to happen. So that on that day, Passover day, in which Christ, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sins of the world. On that day in which he would be crucified, in which he would be slain, the just for the unjust. On that day when he who knew no sin became sin. For us. On that day in which he became the perfect sacrifice for us. The perfect payment. That redemption that was paid. That that ransom that was paid. On that day in which he was going to make it so that we were reconciled with God. On that day he would have that veil torn in two from top to bottom. To be a demonstration to all that Christ, our sacrifice, has made a way for us to be brought to God. For us to be able to draw near to him. It's incredible. The earth shakes, the rocks are split, and this veil is just torn into God saying, There is no longer this veil. There is no longer a need for a high priest to go before you once a day or once a year. There's no need for it because you now have a high priest who is Christ the Lord. Christ doesn't need to make sacrifices for himself because he was without sin. He's the perfect high priest. The book of Hebrews talks all about it. And you look at it, and it's just this glorious picture of not only was he the high priest, but he was also the perfect sacrifice. He was the perfect lamb that was slain. And, and not only that, but we don't need to worry about going into the Holy of Holies and being put to death because Christ, our mediator, was already put to death there so that we would no longer have to experience that, so that would no longer have such hold on us. It was just incredible to think about what's taking place there. Torn from top to bottom. In Hebrews 4.16, it says, Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Let's, let's come boldly to the throne of grace. As a result of the cross, as a result of Christ's death and his resurrection, we're, we're able to approach his throne boldly. You see in Hebrews 9 and verse 12 where it says, Not with the blood of goats and calves, but with his own precious blood he entered the most holy place once for all having obtained an eternal redemption. He says, For the blood of bulls and goats and the ashes of heifers sprinkling the unclean sanctifies for the purifying of the flesh. But how much more shall the blood of Christ, how much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. The blood of Christ, their sacrifice In Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 19, it says, Therefore, brethren, having boldness to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus. Once again, boldness to enter into the holiest. By a new and living way which was consecrated for us through the veil that is his flesh. So it teaches us something about that veil. That veil that was there was to be a picture of the very flesh of Christ. There's a new way. Having a high priest over the house of God let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith. Having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. There's just been this radical change that's taken place as a result. You could picture the high priest and he's got his white clothes on and he has just gone through all the process of being up all night and all of the washings that took place, all of the changing of clothes that took place, all of that that occurred, the sacrifice, the blood, all of these things. And, and to think that you and I don't have to do that. You and I don't have to tremble with a rope around our leg as we go into the Holy of Holies. To think that you and I as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, through faith in him, to think that our sin's been removed. (laughs) It's been replaced with the righteousness of Christ. The effects of that are just incredibly glorious to us. You you, you hear Moses just saying, can I just see your glory? And God saying, no, I'll put you in the cleft of the rock. I'm going to hide myself from you with my hand. You picture God saying to the people, don't even so much as touch the base of the mountain or you'll be killed. Don't even let one of your animals come and touch the base of the mountain or it will be shot with an arrow. It will be killed. And to now think of where we are at as believers. We get to see him. We'll get to see him. You hear in, in, in matthew five eight blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God they'll see him in romans eight eighteen for I consider that the suffering of this present time is not worthy to compare with the glory which shall be revealed in us, or first john three two beloved now we are children of God, and it has not yet been revealed what we shall be, but we, we know that when he's revealed we shall be like him, for we shall see him. As he is. You see it all through scripture. You're going to get to see him. In Revelation 22 verse, verse 4. They shall see his face. And his name shall be on their foreheads. To see him. They shall see his face. You, you read that in Revelation. There's a reason why it is just so incredibly glorious. And that is because he is holy. And we are sinners, and by the work of Christ upon the cross, we get to see His face. John tells us in Revelation 7 verse 9, And after these things I looked, and behold, a great multitude which no one could number, of all nations, tribes, peoples, and tongues, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed with white robes, with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice saying, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb to think that we get to be there for all eternity and be there before the throne and to look at him upon the throne and to see the rainbow around the throne and hear the lightning and see the lightning and hear the thunderings and all that is there and that we get to see him. This radical change that has occurred as a result of the cross. Things that our Lord says to us like come to me all you who labor and are heavy laden and I will give you rest take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I am gentle and lowly in heart and you'll find rest for your souls for my yoke is easy and my burden is light come to me Not, don't let them so much as touch the base of the mountain rather come to me John 6.37 all that the Father gives me will come to me and the one who comes to me I will by no means cast out John 7:37, on the last day, the great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried out, saying, "If anyone first, let him come to me and drink." And Revelation 22 verse 17 and the spirit and the bride say, "Come. And let him who hears, come. And let him who thirsts, come. Whoever desires, let him take the water of life freely." In 1 Corinthians 13, verse 12, And now we see through a glass darkly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I shall know, even as I am known. Face to face with him. Seeing him in all of his glory. This radical change that's taken place. I, I praise God for his death and his resurrection. This picture of the prodigal son going in. Just... Some Living for the things of the world. That, that might be you here this morning. A prodigal son just immersed in the world. He comes to himself and he says, How many of my father's hired servants have bread enough and to spare and I perish with hunger? I'll arise and I'll go to my father and I'll say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. And he arose and he came to his father. But while he was still a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion. And he ran and he fell on his neck and he kissed him. The relationship that we have with him. A God who gives us a picture of him running to us running to us. We see in our text for this morning, Christ also suffered once for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God. The greatest part, the greatest part of Christ's death and resurrection is that he has made a way for us to spend eternity with him. That he has made a way for us to have fellowship with him now. That the trembling that would have taken place of those that were still coveted in their sins and the need for all the sacrifices and the need for all that was there, it has totally been removed because the precious blood of Christ has been spilled for us. I pray that on this morning that we would be in awe of that. That we would be in awe of the fact that we can approach him now. Um, That we will get to see him in all of his glory for all eternity. But even now that we can approach him. What an incredible thing he's done. And yet how many people still try to worship from afar off? How many people still approach him like they're still far away? He, he has taken that veil and he's torn it in two so that you can approach him. You can call out to him in prayer. There's no need for another priest. There's no need for another intercessor. It's Christ who is our high priest. There's no need for us to go in with blood anymore anymore. Because the blood in which we go in with is the precious blood of Christ that enables us to go to the Holy of Holies. We've been brought near to God. This is glorious for us now and for all eternity. For now, knowing what Christ has done for us, we're confident that we're no longer covered in our sins. That, That affects us, doesn't it? I'm no longer covered in my sins. They've all been removed through faith in the death and resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. What an incredible thing that is for us. To to not be in a place of, I'm so guilty, I just can't even come to him. I can't come to him. i got to clean myself up first, and then I'll come to him. To be able to know, like, no, they've all been removed because Christ is the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. We no longer have to look to an earthly high priest to represent us before God. For we have a high priest in Christ who became our sacrifice once for all, the just for the unjust. There's no longer this great and unbreachable wall separating us from God. We no longer have this unbearable weight of sin that was once crushing us. It's been removed. Our payment's been paid in full. We've been reconciled to God. We have the Holy Spirit in our hearts molding and shaping us into the image of Christ Christ. He's always in our presence, closer than any earthly friend could ever be. He, in fact, has made our bodies his holy temple. We could call upon him through prayer, and he can encourage us. He can even carry us through trials. And when tears are flowing and he, 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 he hears your heart, w- without even a word being spoken, he's the one who searches hearts, and he changes hearts, and he comforts hearts, and he causes our hearts to be at peace when the world around us is in chaos. We cast our cares upon him because he cares for us. He teaches us his perfect will as the Holy Spirit causes his word to become alive to us. And we are once again brought near to God. We could call upon him and pray for strength to overcome sin. He's always right there and we can approach his throne boldly. Don't stay and worship from far away. We can sing praises to him and he hears us and he delights in the praises of his people. And there's no need for a sacrifice because he died on the cross. And for all eternity, what an incredible blessing this will be for us. The sting of death has been removed. We'll never experience the wrath of God. Almighty God is not our judge, but our Heavenly Father. And we will forever see His face. We'll be forever behold His beauty and the fullness of His glory. We will forever dwell with Him, and He will forever be our everlasting treasure. We will enter into the joy of the Lord. We'll have pleasures forevermore. We'll never thirst again, and we'll never be in want of anything. And we'll be blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. And He'll wipe away every tears from our eyes. And He will be our all-satisfying portion forever. The veil's been torn in two. We get to approach him boldly, and it's not on our own merit, but on the very merit of Christ our Lord, our substitution. And so when we read 1 Peter 3.18, for Christ also suffered once for sins. Once. He doesn't have to do it ever again. The just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God. May those words be words in which we find incredible delight this morning. The one in whom cannot be a part of sin and is perfectly holy in all his ways and is all-powerful and glorious and splendor. The one who shows us his holiness by not letting them touch the mountain By putting that veil between them and the Holy of Holies. And that God who describes for us what eternity apart from him is like in hell. Blackest darkness. Weeping and gnashing of teeth. Apart from the glory of God. Unable to see the glory of God for all eternity. That is how real the holiness of God is. And how real the extent of our sin is. And to think that he has made a way through faith faith in the work of Christ upon the cross, that we are able to come to Him boldly, both now and forevermore, to see Him, to delight in Him, to enjoy Him. No need for the sun, because He shines with all of His brilliance in His glory. To be able to have that for all eternity, I'll tell you, like this life that we live, Regardless of how painful it is, it is just one zillionth of what you will experience for all eternity with him. There's those that look at their lives and say, I suffer so much. I suffer so much. I've gone through all of these things. And I don't even want to come close to him. You do. You do. You do. The suffering that you're experiencing right now is just but for a moment. He has made a way for you to spend eternity in glory, eternity in the joy of the Lord, eternity with him. May you, at this time, like the prodigal son, say, I will arise and go to my father. Assuredly, I tell you, you will find him running. Let's pray. Lord God, we love you so much. We're not excited about streets of gold or pearly gates. We're excited about being in your presence. Being with you. Spending all eternity in the presence of almighty God. Being able to behold you in your beauty. Pray, Lord, that on this morning that you would cause us to find so much joy in what you have accomplished for us. And Lord Jesus, I, I pray that if 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 there's any here that have stayed so far away, may they just see the picture of what you have done. May they see your holiness and their sin and in this incredible bridge in which you have built that makes it so that wall of separation is no longer there and we're able to come into the Holy of Holies and before the throne boldly. But may we be so clear that you cannot go without blood. And that blood must be the precious blood of Christ and which forgives us of all of our sins and makes our garments white and makes us clean and makes us pure and makes us holy and makes it so that we could approach you boldly not in our own righteousness but in the very righteousness of Christ and may today be the day of salvation for some who are here this morning oh Lord we worship you and, and, and may the worship that takes place as we close the service be just an incredible delight and to our glorious, all-powerful, perfect, and good, and righteous, and holy Savior. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.